Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome, guys and gals, to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast. We'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, along with my co-host and business partner, Charles Dehart. Charles, what's going on today, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Just enjoying this Florida weather. It's awesome. It is awesome, right? I told you it was coming. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing. It was a little hot yesterday, but I, I, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I didn't wake up last night. Everyone kept talking about the super moon, and I knew it was coming, and I sure as heck did not get off the couch last night and go out and see the super moon. So I'm kicking myself in the butt a little bit because supposedly it was pretty <laughs> awesome. But um, either way, yeah, no, the weather is amazing down here. So we're just kind of rubbing it in to all you guys that are listening in that are up in the Northeast or the Midwest or whatever other parts of the country that you're in where it's actually getting cold and dreary and gray. You know, I know some of you guys have pretty leaves falling right now, but in about a month, it's going to be bare trees and cold weather. So anyway, that's my little rub in for the day. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so Charles, last week while I was away on my bike trip to Key West, you did a show all about the pre-visit due diligence that we do when we're looking at a mobile home park. And so I think it only makes sense that we now do a show that covers the actual on-site visit due diligence is that what you're thinking for today? Yeah, absolutely. I think that only makes sense, you know, to kind of go in order there. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, before we get on to that, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of uh, on-site due diligence, I just want to go through a few laundry list items here. Uh, the first off, like I mentioned, I was away last week. Charles did the show solo because I was on my annual bike ride to Key West. It's a charity bike ride that I put together each and every year. This was our sixth year that we're doing it. And so I basically, um, I'm in charge of, I ride the, I ride the event myself. Uh, it's three days, 280 miles from Fort Myers beach down the key West. And, but I'm in charge of basically escorting 65 other bike riders along with, we have like a crew of about 10 people, 10 volunteers to help out, uh, all the way down the key West to get them there safe and sound on their bicycles. And so, um, it's pretty cool. I actually just tallied up the numbers last night. I've been kind of working on it for the last couple of days and, uh, looks like we've raised, or we'll end up donating um, about twenty-seven thousand dollars to uh, to the charity Tiny Hands Foundation that we that we work with each and every year, and we'll end up feeding about twelve hundred families here in the Tampa Bay area during the holiday season. So it's pretty exciting. And then um, mm-hmm. some other exciting news that Charles and I have is um, you guys always know that we're working on deals and kind of doing stuff behind the scenes. Sometimes we talk about case studies of deals that we've purchased. Sometimes we kind of just make mentions of things we're working on. But you know, <clears throat> we've got a new park that's under contract. Uh, that we've been working on now for a number of months. It's located in Charleston, West Virginia. It's actually two different parks. Uh, They were built by the same exact developer. They're still owned by that same developer. And they're approximately one mile apart from one another. And uh, between the two parks, there's a total of about 135 lots. And they're all tenant-owned homes. So it's pretty exciting. And um, other than that, you know, being that it's all tenant-owned homes, it's also on city water and city sewer and the utilities are billed directly to the residents, which is like another big like bonus for Charles and I. When we see that, we're like, yes, you know, we don't have to get involved in the meter reading process and the billing back and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and if that wasn't exciting enough, Charles, right? The, the lot rents are like twenty five to thirty percent below market. Am I correct with that statement? Because I think that's what I think they're like in the one sixty range now, and they should be about two twenty five. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the lot rents are, are way below market on this park. Yeah, they're, so that, they're incredibly below market. So, so. That's, that's super exciting. They, so this is a park that was built in the Charles. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was kind of built in the the early '80s or mid '80s. Um, maybe it was late '70s. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. In the in the in the, uh, in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to like when parks were built or when the majority of parks were built, it's kind of new, right? Yeah, this this guy built the park in the uh, I think it was the early '80s. And um, just to give you some background, this guy that that built the park, he was a he was a um, a spec home neighborhood kind of developer guy. So he built the park. So his idea when he built the park was he wanted to build a he wanted to do the mobile home park business. He he got some good ideas from other park owners, and um, but at the same time he wanted to build a neighborhood 
out of the park. So he basically built the thing as if he was building a single family home neighborhood with, with wide concrete streets and sidewalks and things like that. But, um, he put a mobile home park in place there. And his idea was that if the mobile home park idea didn't work out, that he could just demolish the whole thing. And, and he had the infrastructure in place to put single family homes in. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was his plan. So, I mean, with that being said, all the lots are really large the entire park has concrete roads throughout and concrete parking pads, and so that's pretty nice. I mean, that's kind of a, uh, a higher-end scale mobile home park. I mean, all in all, just those things we mentioned, it makes it really exciting. I know that we're, we're super pumped up about it. In fact, we're actually in the process of even looking for potential partners or partners on the deal. And so if you have an interest in potentially working together with Charles and I, then just shoot us an email. We can open up a dialogue with you and talk a little bit more in detail about the deal. And so we've actually set up a specific email that you can reach us at. And uh, it's partner at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Again, partner at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. And actually, when you send an email to that, uh, to that email address, you'll get a direct, you'll get an automatic response back. Basically, what we've done is we set an autoresponder that's in, that includes some uh, links to the deal. So pictures and videos and also an, an actual uh, financial analysis of the deal itself so that you can just review it a little bit. And then if you have any more further interest in the park, uh, you can reach out to us. There'll be additional contact information on that autoresponder email. So... Um, in fact, what we what we're going to do in addition to this uh, in addition to this autoresponder email, we're actually going to do an entire show dedicated to the actual investment particulars of this park, and uh, we'll plan on releasing that in the next few days here, probably on Thursdays when it's going to come out. So for those of you that think that they might have an interest in partnering with Charles and I, then just be on the lookout for this next show that we're going to again release on Thursday, and. You know, we find that even if you don't have an interest in partnering with us, so like even if you have no interest whatsoever in partnering with us on this deal or any other deals, that you can learn a great deal from hearing us walk through all the particulars of an investment itself. And that's why we're so excited about this new acquisition and think that it's an absolute home run. And so just be look out, be look on the lookout for that show because I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Whether you have an interest in partnering or not, we're going to cover a lot of particulars in that deal, what excites us about it, you know, just why we're looking forward to, to owning the property and just what attracted us to it in the first place. So, um, if you guys have been listening to this show for any period of time, then you really know that Charles and I, we only like buying parks that are big winners. I mean, we've gone through a lot of case studies in the show. And so essentially what this show will be about on this West Virginia park is why we think it's a big winner. So if you have an interest whatsoever, I think you should tune in next Thursday or I guess not next Thursday, it'll be this Thursday. And uh, we'll do an entire show on that West Virginia deal. So, um, Charles, anything else you want to mention about that before I move on to the next laundry list item? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, the deal, Specifically, it's in a great area. It's got a great school district. It's just, um, I'm very excited about this deal. I, I really think it's a great deal. It's a very stable deal with a ton of easy upside, which are the ones that we love because it's, yeah, I think it's absolutely. the fiscal occupancy or the economic occupancy is in the low 90s, <clears throat> right, Charles? I mean, it's in like the low 90% range. Maybe it's maybe mid 90% range. I don't know the exact numbers you do. What is it right now? Yeah, I mean, it's in the low 90%, and um, it's a, you know, he, he operates the park very well. Um, and he is just below market on his rents is really, that's, mm -hmm. that's the entire, the entire deal right there. I mean, he, yeah. the, the tenants <laughs> pay on time. They, you know, that's, that's, that's basically the entire deal. And it's probably, under. it's, it's, it's the nicest, if not one of the nicest parks in the area. So it's, uh, it's really well put together. It's got lots of uh, pitched roof type of homes. In fact, I think all the homes in that park are, have pitched roofs, Charles. It's just some, are, some have metal siding, some have vinyl siding. It's got a mixture of like 80s, 90s, and 2000 era model homes. But um, anyway, it's a good park. Uh, tune into that show. We'll talk more about it. We won't beat the dead horse anymore here now. Just want to kind of give you guys a heads up on what we're working on. And we'll probably, you know, based on the feedback on that show that we put out, We'll probably go ahead and do this for a lot of the other deals that we're working on. And uh, again, like I said, I think that you can learn a lot from listen, listening to us, you know, our perspective as to why you know, we're super excited about the deal, what attracted us to it in the first place, and then we'll go through all the particulars of the deal. And I think that you can learn a lot, especially if you're just getting started in this business. You can kind of look at things through our eyes. So uh, either way, we'll do that show, and then we'll see where it goes from there. And then um, 
One other thing before we get onto the show uh, about on-site due diligence is just want to give you another update on the uh, the Mobile Home Park Academy trainings. Uh, I know you've heard us talk about this the last couple of weeks that we're kind of in the final stages of uh, of getting this product launched, um, and it's really almost there. So we're just putting some final touches on it, and uh, Charles and I will soon be launching um, the, the 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 real Mobile Home Park Academy that you guys have been hearing us talk about for such a long time. So we're really pumped up about that, and we're also going to be adding some free training videos and uh, lots of different audio trainings that we uh, while we're out in the field we're going to be putting those up on the website on our facebook page and so just kind of be on the lookout because we've got a lot of things happening be- behind the scenes here and i think you guys are going to find a lot of value in it so charles any other thoughts on the uh the, the, the upcoming mobile home park academy program there i call it the infamous mobile home park academy training yeah. program because <laughs> it's we've been talking about it and working on it for quite some time it's just it's a huge undertaking and, and we're just very thorough with what we do and we want to make sure it's the best it could be so um, Charles, any thoughts on that, on you know what we've got working behind the scenes? Yeah, what I can tell you is that we're putting a lot of effort and time and energy into that in that program. And um, <clears throat> it seems like every single week we come up with other ideas that could help people. And uh, you know we're 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 trying to get the the program to be as encompassing as possible. And that that's kind of where we're getting. That's where we're at right now. We're, yeah. we're pretty close and uh, we're almost there. We've got big lofty goals of helping a lot of new investors get into the park business. I mean, we wouldn't be spending our time and energy uh, on this weekly podcast if we truly didn't enjoy giving back. I mean, I, I hope you guys can probably see by this point in time, if you've been a... Um, a listener to the show since we started, or just at least over the past few weeks or few months, that Charles and I really, truly, thoroughly enjoy giving back and helping others get into this business. So a lot of you have reached out to us for the free 30-minute co- uh, phone call that we offer. Um, we've had the opportunity of speaking with probably hundreds so far uh, on that free 30-minute phone call. I know we've had a lot that have reached out to us. And um, anyway, we just enjoy giving back. And so we're just we're trying to make sure that this academy program is as good as it can possibly be because we really want to see you know hundreds of others have success in this industry because we know that it's it's a very lucrative industry. We we make a lot of money doing it. We have a lot of fun doing it. And we, we know there's a lot of others that have that, that dying interest to get into it. We just want to make sure that they learn the right way and not the wrong way. And so that's that's why the Academy, we're putting so much time and effort into it. And I think you guys will be thoroughly pleased when it finally does come out. So anyway, Charles, let's talk about today, what we're going to discuss in the show, and that is on-site due diligence. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit, since you kind of finished up the last uh, last week's episode on uh, you know uh, pre-visit due diligence, why don't you lead us into you know where we kind of go from there once we actually go to the property and, and start performing our on-site due diligence? Yeah, I mean the first thing you want to do. I mean there, there's a, a number of things, and I want to I want you to think about the on-site due diligence as um, let's say the off-site due diligence is basically your opportunity to save yourself the time, energy, and cost of traveling to the property. So you're you're basically just looking for all the things that would require or that would prevent you from from actually visiting the property physically. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at it through a microscope almost and, and try to get as much information as possible. But that that's kind of the idea is that on the off-site due diligence is that you're really looking to – you're looking for an excuse not to actually go there. And if you don't find that excuse, then, then now at this point you're going to go to the property and do your on-site due diligence – and invest the time, energy, and and money into actually making the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should you should never be buying plane tickets or making trips and booking hotels if you're not like, what would you say, Charles? Ninety five percent sure that you're going to be buying that property. Yeah, I mean, you know, anytime that I've gone on site, uh, you know, actually, I think that almost every time, for the exception of the deal that we didn't or the deal that we passed on in Iowa. Um, that's the only deal that we went on site with that we didn't actually close on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the mentality you need to have is that you, you know, if you're going to go on site, you have to be almost 95 to a hundred percent sure you're actually going to close the deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, Charles. So, so let's, let's think of it this way. We bought our, we're, we're buying our Southwest plane ticket. We're booking our hotels and, you know, we've, we've completed all the pre-visit due diligence and, now what happens after that? Like we're we're going there, you know, we're, we're heading to the park, and now what happens after that point in time? Kind of give us the the walkthrough of what we need to be doing on site. Yeah, you're gonna be pitching banks on site, so this this is your opportunity to really give your business plan to the banks. 
Um, aside from that, you're going to be talking to some of the county officials and the city officials that you're going to be dealing with on a, on a, uh, a more regular basis. Um, it's your opportunity to kind of screen your manager and your maintenance men to, to make sure that they're a proper fit for your business. And, and then in addition to that, you're going to be looking at uh, getting quotes on any kind of deferred maintenance. Um, you're going to be you're going to be identifying the contractors who will work for you, um, at, at least initially, when you take the property over. And you're going to uh, be talking to other park owners to make certain that um, you're not missing anything. So a lot of park owners actually know uh, the other parks in the area, so you want to you want to get some information from them uh, based on you know what you're buying, mm-hmm. and then. You know, from there, you know, you've got, um, you know, private utilities, too. So if you've got private utilities or even all utilities, really, you're going to be doing some some inspections of those utilities. And you, you, you will want to resupervise those inspections. And then, uh, you know, from there, you're going to want to be looking at um, doing some drive-throughs of some other parks in the area that are that you're basing your comps off of to make sure that, that you're not out of line with uh, with what your assumptions are. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what you're looking at doing. Okay. So let's let's talk about the banks. Um, you know, you you mentioned like you're going to be pitching banks when you go there, trying to obviously assuming that you have to get bank financing, assuming the owner's not going to finance it for you. Um, let's talk about pitching the banks and kind of um, you know what are some of the things that we need to know going into that meeting. And I know first off. Um, you need to be setting up these meetings before you go visit, right? I mean, th- this, this kind of needs to be part of your pre-visit due diligence. You need to be actually making calls and introducing yourself, talking to bank representatives about the, the park, about the opportunity, and um, trying to initiate that conversation before you go. In fact, you, you want to even schedule the meeting, schedule the time. Just go ahead and line up that time before you even jump on your Southwest flight and head out there. So, But once we actually get... To the bank, Charles. What are the things that we need to be um, that we need to be thinking of, or like the paperwork that we need to have together that we need to give the banker uh, during our visit? Yeah, I think that um, when you go pitch a bank, I think that you need to have your personal financial statement all together. That that needs to be already done before you even get there, uh, to where you can actually hand that to the banker. And your resume, as far as it relates to real estate, needs to be together as well. Um. So you want to be able to present that to the banker in the meeting. That's going to go a long way to helping you get a loan. And then from there, you want to be able to, to present them with some of the financials they'll need to do, they'll need to, to have to, to underwrite the park. And then you will want to have your business plan completed as well and be able to promote your property and your plan to the bank because at the end of the day you are a promoter mm-hmm. so you you want to be able to promote what you're trying to do and how it's going to benefit the bank and how it's going to be a safe investment for the bank mm-hmm. yeah and so and a lot of this stuff you could potentially even send to the banker before you go visit but you know even if you did send it to them prior to your visit or prior to your appointment there um, once you're in town, wherever the park is or wherever the bank is, you also probably want to bring this stuff with you. Just go ahead and bring a copy of it, a printout of it with you. But again, you might be able to send this. If you've already been working that relationship with that bank or a few weeks before your visit, there's a good chance you might be sending this stuff over ahead of time. So it can go both ways. Um, it just depends on how much of a jump you need on the financing, depending on how much time you have in due diligence and you know getting the financing lined up before you close. You want to be as proactive as possible with this. And just to hit on uh, another point that Charles made there, like you are the promoter here. First impressions are everything with this appointment. You know, a lot of smaller banks that you're dealing with, they're going to w- put as much weight on your personal financial statement and the deal itself as they do you as an individual and how much they liked you during that appointment. I know it's it's kind of discriminatory if you think of it in one sense, but you know, a lot of these smaller banks they have. They have credit boards that get together once a, once a week uh, once a week to meet, and and the loan officer gets to pitch the deals. And a lot of times, your loan officer you need to you need to sell them on yourself, in addition to the deal, because they're going to be your cheerleader. They're going to be your cheerleader in front of that credit department to get this deal sold. And so, it's your job to make a great first impression. You need to go into the the meeting. Like you need to be on point. You need to be dressed well. You need to make sure that you've shaven that day, maybe, or maybe if you have a beard, make sure it's <laughs> nicely trimmed. And anyway, just make sure that you got your stuff together. Okay, Charles. Any other thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, you just have to make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row with these bankers. I mean, th- that's what they like. They like to see completeness and thoroughness. Well, they're bankers, and right? Yeah, yeah, they're analytical by nature, and they're just—I mean—they're they're very organized typically. So they like to, you to be the same way. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And that that gets them comfortable. So just mm-hmm. just make sure you're hitting on the things that make them comfortable with you, and and you'll have success with the banks. You know, one other thing that actually I think is very helpful, and this is. Um, this is something that we actually did, and Charles had mentioned that Iowa deal, and we backed out of for other reasons other than financing, and it, basically we found a lot of unknowns in the park that affected the the revenue, and so we tried to renegotiate the price with the the seller, and it just wasn't going. So we backed out of the deal because of a basically a pricing discrepancy. But I actually met with um, a few of the bankers, and you know it was a smaller town, and so they all knew the park because there was only like two parks in town. This was one of them. Uh, this was the biggest one, and uh, they all knew this park, and it kind of had gone downhill over the years, and that's all they knew of it. And so what I did, and it turned out to be very beneficial, is I basically drove each of one of those bankers through that park. I took them in my car, and we drove through the park, and I basically pointed out to them exactly what we would do once we took it over, how we would turn around this place, how we'd turn around the perception that the, the entire city has on this community. And... Um, he was quite impressed because most most bankers don't have that vision. And so your job is to give them that vision because, again, they're going to be your cheerleader. They're going to be ones that are selling this to the credit department so that, you know, hopefully you can get financing on this deal. And so your job is to really just basically implant your vision of this property and how you're going to just rock the house and turn this place around. You need to implant that in their brain. And um, another or a way, a good way to do that is by having this drive through with them. So if you have that opportunity, definitely drive them through the park um, and, and show them exactly what you plan to do. So Charles, Absolutely. Uh, so that's, I think we covered everything that we need to cover about the bank meeting. Um, let's talk about the local officials that we're going to be, that we're going to be speaking to. Um, potentially prior to to closing, because we want to go meet with the you know a couple different departments down the city or the county that we're working in. Uh, who are those people, and why are we meeting with them? Yeah, I mean, w- when you meet with local officials, it's, it's very similar to a bank. You know, uh, you you are promoting once again uh, your business plan and your vision to the to the local officials. So you want to meet with. Um, you know, probably, you know, if you've got a smaller city, you, you can probably get with, get with the mayor. Then you've got the city manager and things like that. And then planning and zoning, obviously, you know, obviously the lower uh, offices like planning and zoning and code enforcement and health department and stuff like that. You want to meet with those people as well. But what you're trying to do with these meetings is you want a face-to-face meeting where you are basically walking through your business plan and your vision and promoting what you're trying to do and getting them on board with what you're trying to do to try to kind of bring them on your side because that will help you when you actually move forward as an owner. Hey guys, Kevin Bupp here from the Mobile Home Park Academy. I'm very sorry for interrupting your show, but I have something really special I'd like to share with you. If you haven't heard already, Charles and I are offering something really cool here at the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast, and I just wanted to make sure that you knew about it. We're offering a free 30-minute phone consultation with the two of us, where you can ask us anything that you'd like about mobile home park investing. Maybe you're brand new and you just have a few questions that you'd like answered. Or maybe you want to run a deal past us and have us help you walk through the evaluation process. Or maybe you're an already experienced park owner and you just want to bounce a few ideas off of us. Whatever it is, Charles and I, we're very excited to speak with you. And there's absolutely no ulterior motive with these calls, so you don't need to worry about us trying to upsell you or pitch you on some kind of product or service. These calls are simply our way of giving back and connecting with others who share our same passion for this business. And just to reiterate, it doesn't matter if you're brand new or a seasoned investor. These calls are open to everyone. But there is one catch. It has to relate to mobile home parks. And so if you'd like to schedule that free 30-minute call with Charles and I, please send an email to freecall at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Again, freecall at mobilehomeparkacademy.com, and almost immediately you'll receive an email back with a link to our calendar. And if you haven't received that email within five minutes or so, be sure to check your junk folder, okay? Sometimes it ends up there. And when you go to schedule that time on our calendar, please include a little background on yourself as well as what you'd like to discuss on our call. But please be sure that it relates to mobile home parks. Charles and I really look forward to connecting with you, and we look forward to helping you in your journey to success as a mobile home park investor. Now let's get back to the show. Um, to have people that are that are on your side to, to kind of... Um, maybe lean on when you have issues, you know, mm-hmm. 
And so I know that w- one of the places that I always like to go visit, so we're talking about you know local de- uh, uh, government departments and things of that nature, we always meet with the police department. That's one place that we always stop by, right, Charles? That's always kind of a fun time mm-hmm. to, to stop by there and just, uh, you know, we always want to find out what's happening in the park. And we also want to get aligned with the police department. Like if there are issues happening in that park, we want to know about them. But we also want to let the police department know that we're there to work with them where our job is to not be a drain on their resources and our job is to clean this place up and we'd like to align ourselves with them so that we can do it as a team and uh, most of the time we gain a lot of respect by doing that and um, it's only going to benefit you down the road and um, I know that we've cleaned up some pretty rough parks and we've done that because we've had you know direct cooperation with the local police department we've worked with them they've worked with us and it's just been a win-win Charles who are some of the other departments that we're going to be meeting with yeah, obviously the city manager is another big one. I mean, we've we've had um, in other parks that we've actually done in the past. We've had some problems with city managers and and, and the mayor of the town. Um, so it's always good to kind of pitch your vision to them and give them an action plan for the first couple months. And when they see you actually completing those action steps, it changes the ball game. It's kind of like, um, I guess, probably the, the most blatant example would be Lovejoy would be the most blatant example of, of a part that, that, you know, that our company has done, um, where we came in and we said we we're going to do something and we did it and they, they kind of changed their tune. Because they weren't very happy with us in the beginning. If you guys have never heard that story, I'm not going to tell it now, but I'll just give you kind of the gist of it. The mayor, we had, we met the mayor. We were buying a park that was pretty run down. In fact, it was right in front of the mayor's office. Uh, he had to drive past it every day for the past couple of years. And uh, it's a big drain on the city's resources. The police department was always in there. And uh, we met with them before we closed and just told him of what our vision was, what we were going to do. We are going to turn this place around. He basically told us that if we bought it, he would do everything in his power to shut us down. <laughs> and, uh, so it wasn't very, a very pleasant conversation at first, but we took our chances. We bought it. We did what we said we were going to do. And a uh, very short time thereafter, we turned this place around and received a, a letter of recommendation from that mayor um, of this park based on the fact that we turned it around, filled it with great residents, and basically made it a basically something that the city is proud of now. So uh, it's just really good to, again, line yourselves with the local government officials because they're there to they're there to, to help you out most of the time. Um, sometimes there can be some friction, but you know, I, I can tell you that you're going to make a lot more headway if you try to be their ally versus just going in there and you know throwing your weight around and, and just kind of forcing yourself upon them. So um, anyway, Charles, any other thoughts on um, local officials? No, I think that's pretty much it. You're you're okay. basically at the end of the day, you're a promoter. You yep. want to be able to keep the promises that you say you're going to keep, and then uh, and you want to be able to execute on those things. So, yep. you know, right. you, you just create a good environment for yourself. And I know sometimes I got one more thing. Sometimes there are, there are points in time to where um, you know we have a park up in North Carolina where the, the you know the the mayor and, and his staff they hate mobile home parks and there's really nothing wrong with the mobile home parks in their town there's a few bad ones but the majority of them are good um, ours is probably the best of all of them but they hate mobile home parks and so they've they've started putting uh, in some very very strong restrictions on what can and can't be done in parks uh, in fact one of them is we're restricted to the year of used homes that we can bring into the park. We have a lot of empty pads in one of the parks we're trying to fill up. And uh, we've had a lot of people try to move their homes into that park, but they've got a restriction, an age restriction that they've put in place. And so we've tried to work with them on it. They're not budging. And so now we actually have an attorney getting involved. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to be able to overturn that uh, th- that law uh, that they have there only because it's just – it's 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 not fair. I mean, there's a lot of people that need affordable housing in that local uh, in that local town, and uh, they've been trying to move their homes into our park, and the city's not allowing them to do that only because they don't like mobile homes, and that's just not it's it's not a fair law. And uh, so now we're instead of fighting them directly, we've got an attorney involved, and you know we choose not to go that route, but you know in in, in some instances like this one, it just needs to be done. So there probably will be some friction that's created once we go down this road. But it's really in the best interest of the city themselves. I mean, because our park is nice. It's going to create more revenue for them. And um, it really is a win-win at the end of the day. So, Charles, let's talk about about, uh, the next one, which is um, – during our on-site visit, we're going to be walking through any park-owned homes and, you know, ancillary structures like, you know, um, I don't know what, like community – 
meeting places or what else could there be there storage sheds what what other kind of buildings yeah apartment buildings things like single family homes duplexes any any anything that's ancillary to the to the mobile home park the land lease component so um in this walkthrough and i want to stress this it's, it's actually it's very important if you can if you can do it, if you can if you can feasibly do it, you want the seller with you on this walkthrough. This is your opportunity to renegotiate your contract um, or to put in place some kind of repair escrow. So you want the seller with you to see all the things that you're seeing and to agree to all those things that you're seeing because you know at the end of the day, if if there are things that are misrepresented, you want to be able to go back to that seller and uh, and have him know exactly what you're talking about. So it's very important that if you can possibly do it, you want the seller with you on this inspection. Um, aside from that, you want to you want to have a good punch list together. You want to basically have a a list of all the things you're going to check inside of the mobile home, and you want to document everything that's that's not uh, working properly or that is uh, that needs repair inside of that home. And then the third thing you want to do is that uh, your your on-site due diligence is it's a little bit forward of when you actually get your insurance quotes. Um, but what you want to do is you want to start taking all the pictures and doing all the things you need to do for your insurance and getting all the documentation together because you don't want to go back out to the property and have to do that again or have somebody else go back out to the property and do it for you. So those things would be like you want to con- – on the mobile homes that you actually – are acquiring with the property, you want to confirm the VIN number, you want to confirm the number of bedrooms and bathrooms, the make and model of the home, and the size of each home. In addition to that, you want to take photos of all four sides of the home, and then you want to take a photo of the VIN number as well. It, it, these, these are going to be for, uh, for uh, post-HUD model homes is where you have the VIN number on the back. And then you also want to take pictures of the ancillary structures and confirm the dimensions you're built and then the age of the roof, HVAC, and electrical systems. So those are kind of like the the big the big bullet points for all the insurance items that you want to take pictures of and and get confirmation of. I mean, basically, this is your opportunity. Uh, two things: to renegotiate any uh, you know any repairs or repair escrow with the seller based on the condition of these homes. But it's also your opportunity to create a very informative, detailed spreadsheet that has every detail you'd ever want to know about the homes that you're about to acquire. Because if they're occupied with tenants, then you know, you're not going to have this opportunity again. I mean, you could, I guess you could, if you gave them notice, you'd go in there and, and do the things you need to do, but it's going to be a pain in the butt. You know, this time around, like you're literally walking through every single, you should be walking through every single park owned unit uh, that, that, that you're going to be acquiring with this park. And this is just your opportunity to all at once, knock it all out, get all the information that you need to know and put it in a very organized format, get pictures, get the VIN number, get the size, um, you know, year built, roof condition, HVAC, you know, information, electrical information, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Charles, anything else that we need to be thinking of uh, regarding the park-owned homes or ancillary structures? No, I mean, just be very thorough with it, you know, and um, and just know that on, on the back end of that, you're going to have to provide some information to your insurance company. So, if you have some insurance, if you have an insurance broker or if you have uh, an insurance company that you're planning on going with, you might... Before you actually go on site, you might ask them what the requirements are as far as what they want to see, what they want you to confirm, and all the information they want you, they want you to gather while you're on site. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to save yourself an extra trip or to have somebody else go do a trip on your behalf, you know, it just, it just saves you a lot of, a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, next we're going to talk about... The, uh, the, the face-to-face with the park manager and also any maintenance personnel that might uh, already exist or be working in the park. So, Charles, tell me about this. This is the fun part sometimes, isn't it? The, the park manager, at least. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with the park managers, I, I usually like to ask them about the history of the property. So anything that is significant that have happened there. Um, you know, we own a couple of parks where they've, they've had some uh, – you know, the one in Fayetteville, for instance, had uh, 30 homes were destroyed by a hurricane about, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago. Um, the one in Petersburg that we own, there was a number of homes that were destroyed by a windstorm where a bunch of trees fell in the park. So those are things that I like to know in the property. Um, and then in addition to that, I want to get with them and ask them, you know, what would they change about the way that their day-to-day 
operation of the park is is done so what would they actually change to kind of get on just to kind of get a feedback for how they see the property being managed what what they kind of like to see to see happen um on top of that want to know about the problem tenants there's always a problem tenant or two in every single park sometimes there's more sometimes there's less so want to get some uh some information on some of the people that are going to cause us grief and then you know, we really want to have a conversation about setting expectations going forward. So we, we usually retain most of the park managers that we that we get when we acquire a property. And, the, you know, they, they might not stick around for much longer than maybe three or four months. But uh, we usually retain them for the, the first couple of months of the turnaround. Um, but we want to set expectations going forward in this meeting as to how we operate parks and, and the way we manage them. So that's usually the way we, we kind of do this face-to-face meeting. And just so you guys know, um, this stuff is happening before we actually own the park, before you own the park. And so a lot of managers are going to be very cautious with what they say to you because you're not the new owner yet. They still have another boss, which is the current owner. And so they're going to be very careful with how they word their responses to you. They want to make sure they don't get in trouble, and they want to make sure that if – you don't buy the park that they don't get fired for what they, for the information that they gave you. And so just know that some of it's going to be kind of sugarcoated a little bit. Um, I could tell you probably the one thing that they will be honest about are any of the troublesome tenants that exist in the park, but some of the other items, they might kind of sugarcoat a little bit that might not seem as bad as what they really are. And uh, typically what happens after you close, then, then the floodgates open up a little bit and they kind of tell you all the bad things about who they hate what they would change and this, that, and the other. But um, you can get a good bit out of them. I mean, Charles, I found that you know, about 50% of the time we can get accurate information. The other 50%, it's it's kind of sugar-coated to some extent. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think a lot of times it's, it's actually helpful if you tell them that it's a confidential conversation and that you are not going to tell the, the current owner anything that they disclose to you as far as you know, any of the items that they talk about, you know, we're just trying to figure out how they fit in place with our business. And we want to make sure that they have a job when we close. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can set the expectation properly and just, and, and, and let them know that you're not going to disclose any of their answers to those questions to the current owner. Mm-hmm. Yep. And kind of the same thing holds true with the maintenance personnel. You know, that, that's the other thing I want to hit on, Charles, is, uh, you know, a lot of times we buy a park that's already got some kind of existing maintenance personnel or staff that not necessarily comes along with the park in terms of, you know, their own payroll, but there's they're someone that's been working in that park or on a project basis in that park for a number of years. And so we kind of go through the same process with, with them that we would with the manager, correct? Yeah, absolutely. The only, the only, differences is that we go through the punch list usually with the maintenance personnel mm-hmm. uh, and then sometimes with the, with the park manager too. Um, but aside from that, the maintenance personnel are basically treated the same way as the park manager. So if you've got like an on-site maintenance man or if you've got a guy that has been, uh, you know, he's he's been doing the maintenance kind of as needed in the park for a number of years, uh, you, you want to kind of go through the same thing with them as far as the history of the property, things they would change, and then set expectations. So, mm-hmm. you had mentioned something about the punch list. So, I, this is a pretty big one. Um, what we typically do, if we walk through, most of the time, if there's park owned homes in a park, most of the time, one of those park owned homes is vacant, right? I mean, there's always one that's vacant or, or it's in the process of being remodeled, or maybe it just got finished being remodeled and it's on the market. Um, you know, what we do if we can is we walk through with the maintenance guy, whoever renovated that, assuming it's the maintenance guy, we'll walk through that with them, um, get an idea of what their work looks like, but also go through with a punch list and kind of set expectations as to maybe some little things that we see that maybe they're not used to doing that we would expect them to do. So again, it goes back to setting those expectations. Uh, we really start getting them in the mindset of this is how we do things. Like, and, and a few times we've walked through, uh, we've walked through renovated homes. We were like pretty pleased, you know, Charles, like Petersburg, they do great work up there. And so we walked through, I didn't really have any complaints about the quality of the work that was being done. Although I did have a, a conflict or we had a, some major conflicts about how much money was being spent to actually get the work done or how much time it was taking to get the work done. But the quality was great. And so we just, again, set expectations based on 
how long a normal remodel should take, you know, who should be doing it, how much money it should be costing us on labor. And, um, and typically it all works out, right? I mean, there's never, you know, kind of like the manager, a lot of times we have personnel that either they stay around for a long time or we still take them on board initially and keep them around for a couple of months. But for some reason or another, it just doesn't work out. I know one of the recent acquisitions we had up in Fayetteville area in North Carolina, um, we tried to make it work with the existing maintenance staff. And I uh, just found out that they just did inferior work. And, you know, same with the manager. You know, both of them we ended up replacing. And so it just happens. But, you know, you try to do your best with setting expectations and, and um, you know, uh, creating a system to where you could work together with the existing team. But a lot of times it, it won't work out. Sometimes it will. So, Charles, any other thoughts on that before we move on? No, I think we're, I think we're ready to move on to capital repairs. Okay, exciting. So what do we do about capital repairs? Yeah, I think that um, you know most of the parks that we actually buy, they they re, they they've got some deferred maintenance in them. As, as far as uh, you know, most of the time, the biggest issue is usually road repairs. So, this is an opportunity on site, is that you can get some contractors out there to start bidding out your road repairs, and and you know it's always nice. I, I have a comfort level with meeting with these people on you know face to face, and um, having them walk me through what they're going going to plan to do and how they're actually bidding the job out. So this is an opportunity for you uh, when you have these deferred maintenance items like road repairs or maybe there's some some upgrades to a private utility system you need to make. Um, we've run that before. Or if there's uh, a lot of homes that need to be remodeled, uh, it's your opportunity to meet with these contractors and have a face-to-face meeting with them to where you can you know, properly set expectations on your end, but they can actually walk you through what they're planning on doing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a really good opportunity to do those things. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. Okay. And that kind of leads us into the next thing, which is um, the inspections of utilities. You know, it's kind of along the same lines. What do we typically do, Charles, with regards to um, supervising the inspections of utilities? And what does that even mean? I mean, what kind of utilities are we actually getting inspected? Yeah, you know, we we didn't used to do this. We used to um, just kind of send the guy out there and do the do the inspection, and then we got we got burned on a deal in Pennsylvania uh, on an inspection that wasn't done that they said that was done, and uh, we closed on a property that we would have probably renegotiated the purchase price on uh, based on some of the issues that we had. So my recommendation is moving forward is to think that everyone should probably supervise the inspection. If you have a private utility, even if you don't know what's going on with that private utility, just be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would go a long way if you, if you understand what's going to, what the inspection process will generally look like, you can, you can still supervise them on the big ticket items. Um, and if you're if you're fuzzy on what those big ticket items might be, you can listen to episode 23 and 24. We have Philip Merrill on the show, and he uh, talks about every single private utility there is, you know, in in the industry. And uh, I, I just feel like it's worthwhile to be there during the inspection of your private utilities mm-hmm. um, at this point. And this would be something that again you would set up prior to your you jumping on the plane and booking your hotels, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you would make these calls and you would line up these uh, these different companies or plumbers or electricians, uh, whoever you you need to come out there to do these inspections. You would line them up before you visit. And I would definitely with this this line of uh, line of our, or this in, this particular industry like plumbers and electricians, and all that. De- definitely make sure you call like the day before and confirm and call the morning of and confirm those appointments. In fact, you're probably best off if you actually line up two companies for each type of inspection that you need and then call the day before and just confirm and just take your chances on which one you think is definitely going to show up. Um, I don't know, Charles, what do you think about that? Because really what happens is if you show up there, if you only call one company and you don't confirm it, they tell you they're going to be there, they don't show up, now you're kind of dead in the water because a lot of times you only spend a day or two on site. And so if you can't get it done that trip, you've just wasted a trip. And so, yeah, I mean, in, in in the day or two that you spend there is usually pretty packed. You yeah, know, you've got yeah. you've got meetings with banks, you've got meetings with city officials, uh, other contractors, park you know park personnel. You've got maybe the owner showing up on site during a specific period of time. Um, these contractors that do your inspections, they need to show up on time and they need to be, you know, reliable. So, you know, 
definitely take the time to follow up with these people to make sure they're going to be there at the time they they actually said they were going to be there. They're mm-hmm. doing what they say they're going to do. Yep, yep. Okay, that kind of leads us into the next thing, Charles, which is uh, meeting with other park owners in that area. Um, and also kind of two things here that we want to talk about is meeting with the other park owners, but also doing the drive-throughs of other parks as well, because both are very important. Um, let's talk about meeting with other park owners. I mean, why would we even want to meet with other park owners during our visit? Well, first and foremost, I mean, this is a prospecting opportunity. You know, when you when you own a park in a particular market, and if you can start to prospect other parks in that market, you're starting to uh, get some really good economies of scale. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, you can get their opinions on the, on the property. I mean, um, one of the recent parks that we closed on in Alabama, we had, uh, you know, we had a park owner give us some information that we would have normally not gotten uh, about the about the park owned homes that were in our in our park. Um, aside from that, you've got. Um, they can give you their opinions on your business plan. So if you can, if you can kind of walk through what you're trying to do as far as your business plan, when you talk about rent raises and utility billbacks, they can kind of give you their opinion. Uh, take it with a grain of salt, obviously, because a lot of the park owners you meet with are going to be mom and pops. Um, and then you can ask them about tenant demographics. You can, you can get an idea of who the people are you're going to rent to. And then uh, they can give you some pretty good information about evictions and dealing with specific local officials as well a lot of these park owners that they've been entrenched in the market for a long time so they can tell you everything they need to know about the uh the evictions and the local officials and um you know more often than not we we get copies of their leases and everything else so they're mm-hmm. they're very giving people and they they, they help you out quite a bit Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, it's a really good thing to meet with other park owners. Yep. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, of all those things, I think the prospecting opportunity is, the, is probably the, it's on the top of that list right there, because as Charlotte has mentioned, a lot of these people have been entrenched in this community and this, this park for a long time. And so a lot of them, you know, when they do decide to sell, they, they want to sell to someone that they like. In fact, it's probably even better if, if they, you know, there's a better opportunity them selling to you if you actually have your roots in that community at that point in time, which if you end up buying this other park, then you're probably a little bit higher up on their list of potential buyers. And so it just gives you the opportunity to prospect and build a rapport with other parks in town. And so uh, we always try to do it whenever we buy a park. We always start prospecting immediately. Um, or actually, well, prior to buying the park, we do it. We meet with other owners. But even after we buy it, we always stay in touch with other parks in the surrounding area. And uh, if we go visit the park, we try to stop in and visit some of the other parks that we might have an interest in buying. Um, Charles, let's talk about driving through the other parks during this um, this on-site visit. Why is that important? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can do all the due diligence you want to off-site as far as trying to get rent comps for your business plan and all this other stuff. But until you actually show up on-site, there's, there's just some things you can't possibly know unless you drive through the other parks. So it's always worth uh, doing this. this. Isn't This isn't something you have to schedule. So this is kind of like an ancillary item. Uh, you know, normally for us, it's, it's kind of like at the end of the day um, or during some kind of white space where we drive through the other parks. We make certain that the comps that we're, you were using for the property that we're buying are actually real comps, that mm-hmm. they're not that we're, we're not making assumptions based on false information. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always good to, if you can, to talk to the park managers of those parks because they can give you a lot of the same information that talking to other owners can give you as far as the the tenants that are gonna that you're gonna run into, the people that are gonna actually call on your tests on your on your ads. Um, they can give you all the information on on what they've seen over the last couple of years or whatever it is that they've been working there. And they can give you um, some feedback on, you know, if you're going to take the rent up significantly, they can give you some feedback on that. They can give you some feedback on maybe some things they've heard about your park that you're buying. Uh, it's just a really good exercise to do, to just go out and talk to people and network with people in that industry. Mm-hmm. And just beware, they probably will tell you a lot of things about your park that you're about to buy that they've heard. <laughs> just, again, take it all with a grain of salt, as Charles absolutely. said. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Charles, anything else we want to cover? I think we covered a ton there um, with regards to your on-site visit. I mean, it's um, it really is just a matter of creating a checklist and you know trying to set up a lot of these appointments ahead of time before you go visit. And uh, most of the time when we go visit a park, 
Uh, we normally spend about two days uh, or day and a half to two days, and they're pretty jam-packed. Uh, but you can accomplish a lot in that period of time if you plan accordingly. And um, But you never want to buy anything without doing the on-site visit, right? I mean, so if you're ever thinking of going down that road of buying something because you're so comfortable, it's such a great deal, and you don't feel like you need to go visit, don't even think that way. You definitely need to go visit because you'll find out a lot in person. And um, Charles, I think we covered pretty much all of it here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that... You know, you need to you need to view the due diligence. Don't get too excited. I mean, like a lot of new park owners, they get very excited about doing their first deal. Don't get too excited. View everything from a conservative standpoint and, uh, you know, be very inquisitive. Just try to find out as much. This is, you know, the due diligence period is your opportunity to find out as much about the property as you possibly can. And uh, no matter how much you find out, you're going to miss some things. So do the best job you can and realize you're going to miss some things. Be conservative and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, sounds good, Charles. I think that's all we have then for today's episode. Um, But before we say goodbye, we just want to remind you of the free gift that we've been offering now for uh, for many, many months now to the listeners who take the time to go over and leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. If you guys want to get a copy of the exact cold call script that we use in our own mobile home park business, what you need to do is go over to iTunes, leave a review and a rating for the show, and we'll give you a copy of our cold call script. And uh, here's what you're going to need to do to redeem that free gift from us. After you submit that review on iTunes, go ahead and send us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com and tell us who you are and what screen name that you use to leave that review, and we'll go ahead and send you your free gift. Also, be sure to stop by the Mobile Home Park Academy website at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. You can listen to all of our previous podcast episodes, as well as download a copy of our free ebook called The 21 Biggest Mistakes That New Investors Make When Purchasing Their First Mobile Home Park and How to Avoid Them. And this is a, Charles and I always say this, it's, this is a required read. It's free. We give it to you for free. We spend a lot of time writing this. And um, if you're looking to get into this business or maybe you own your first park, looking to buy your second, either way, I'm sure that you're going to learn a ton from this free report that we've uh, that we've written for you so be sure to go download a copy you really have nothing to lose and other than that guys this is uh this is your host kevin bupp and charles dehart signing off congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.